This is According to Callus, and I am so sorry, but I did not get a show out on Monday. This is going to be episode 176. I am going to title it, If I Were Elected. You see, for the better part of a year, I had, actually, probably the better part of two or three years, I had fully intended on running for office again in a partisan race, and... I've not been shy about sharing that, nor have I not, nor have I been shy about lamenting it a little bit at times. And, you know, it's for that reason that I've been kind of careful of my criticisms and it's made me less likely to want to endorse uh, for certain races. Reason being is I look at what they're doing, what they're saying, and I think to myself, is it plausible that I might feel compelled to do the same thing if I were in their shoes? Might I embellish my record? Might I um, demur and not give a fully direct answer? Might I shade my answer a little bit? In other words, not fully display what I think about something. And as a candidate, there's kind of a need for that that is forgivable. I don't know that I would be that kind of candidate. So that's kind of why I'm not entitling this if I were a candidate, because I've been one. I will probably be one again, but there's no guarantee I'll be elected. Uh, I don't think there's any guarantee for anybody, for anything, or even the next day for that matter. I mean, just a brief perusal of the Bible would probably remind you of that, right? But if I were elected. So, that's where we're going to go. I am uh, brought this to the forefront of the various things that I could have done uh, an episode on today. Because tonight begins the three-night series of forums in Collin County for all of our Republican candidates. Now, for those of you that don't favor Republicans, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I'm sure the Democrats do their own thing. I will tell you again, publicly, that once the primaries are over, I would love to host a debate between the Republicans, the Democrats, and perhaps even the Libertarian or any other third-party candidate that has got their name on the ballot. I will uh, implore my group that I belong to to host said debates. Uh, I will do all the groundwork, and I will even go so far as to say, if you are not comfortable with me being the sole moderator, I would love to have whoever you feel would best represent your... Um, side or your um, concerns, join me on the moderation panel. I I assume that the uh, Democrats or even a libertarian might want that. I'm fairly certain that I am more or less harmless to most of the Republicans, at least in their own minds. So that being said, this coming on the calendar for the next three nights inspired me to come up with, well, what would you do 
Stephen, if you were an elected official, you're freshly elected, you've just been inaugurated, and now you have a job to do. Well, okay, so rather than lay out a mm, step-by-step process here on what I do in day one, let's just start with some general things that I would keep in mind, and then as uh, more details become pertinent or are, are directly related, I will fill them in. So number one, top priorities. See, as an elected official, uh, particularly at the House level, you're one of 150 votes. And in the Senate, you would be one of 30. And we're talking about the Texas House and the Texas Senate. We're not talking about the feds because, quite frankly, who cares? All right. Well, I do, but um, let's just say that having a voice of one of 435 is a whole lot less effective than being one of 50 or one of 30. So I would remember my top priorities. So if I made a campaign promise or it was one of my planks, that would be at the first and foremost. Number two, if I were to be running as a Republican and elected as a Republican, and the same should hold true for the other people that run, uh, whether they're Democrat or something else, they should remember their party platform and their party priorities. For instance, we have had the same basic priorities for at least 10 years that I'm aware of. And we're slowly but surely whittling them down piece by piece. One wonders why that might take so long. But again, keep in mind, as one of 150 or one is a, or one in a 30, you have relatively little direct power on how that transpires. So every step forward is very important. And if your individual representative, as I would be in this scenario, I would make darn sure that you all, as my constituents, knew exactly where I stood on that issue and that everybody down in Austin would know exactly where I stand on that issue or issues, as the case may be. And I would voicefully, purposefully, and forcefully push that issue all the time. Now, as we have a part-time serving legislature, the other, say, eight months of the one year, and we'll call it um, eight months of the second year, um, four months of campaigning and four months uh, actually doing the job. So two-thirds of the time when you're not actually in Austin mm, fighting your battles, you, in this case, I would be championing those causes. I would be on any program that would take me. I would do pretty much any interview that I could get. I would travel to every club and organization that would have me that we were allied on such issues. And I would go even so far as to say, if you disagreed with me, if if you were the other side, I would come and debate or discuss in a forum or partake in any roundtable put before me because I would have no fear. If I find that those issues are important and they're my priorities and or my party's priorities, I need to be willing to go and defend them. I personally find it disturbing that our own representatives don't do this or don't do it well. And I mean that everywhere from the city council to the president. 
they get their seat and they're afraid to defend it. They're afraid to misspeak. They're afraid to misstep. Now, I understand the so-called wisdom behind that, but I don't suffer that problem because I think that I know the things that are important to me and enough material to support the positions I take on those issues that are important to me that I can hold my own and I'll take the risk of maybe not being a hundred percent or maybe learning something new and being willing and able to incorporate that in my understanding going forward. I wouldn't be afraid to take part in that stuff. So number two, I wouldn't or I won't fight unneeded battles. So you don't go looking to start a fight, right? And 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 for me personally, I avoid a fight that doesn't need to happen. I know those of you that know me personally are kind of laughing a little bit, but realistically, think about it. When do I go and start it? When do I go and bring something up or wake the sleeping dog, if you wish? Not very often. Now, if somebody brings something up or somebody opens the door, well then, hey, it's time to get involved. It's time to step up. When you look at changing the fabric of society, I'm sorry, those are fighting words. Those are fighting terms. You must get off your butt and do something. And that's me. That's what I do. I will avoid unnecessary fights or unnecessary battles. But once it's started, I'm there in it. And I'm going to give you an example of this. So I made it known to a good number of people that really care about this issue that I have not been, nor do I have any faith in the Convention of States or Article 5 Convention or whatever you want to call it. I have no faith in that. However, I have told, because I have friends that this is very important to them. I have told them, you have successfully lobbied for the state of Texas to call for a convention of states. What's done is done. The majority made a decision. I don't think it's the best solution, but we have made a decision as the state of Texas, and so be it. And then I say, and this is true, and if I were the same set elected official, I would have the same attitude. If this were to come about, then I would be in the trenches right next to you. This is now a battle that needs to be fought. The defense of the Constitution, the defense of the Bill of Rights, the defense of the federalistic system that we live under, at least sort of, those all matter. Those are things that would then be on the table. Now, I know our friends at the Convention of States say, no, they won't be. But just to ensure that they're right, I would be there with them. Now, I didn't go looking for this fight or this battle. I think it's foolish to bring it about. But if it should come, then I'm going to be there with them. And I'm going to have their back. In fact, I'm going to lead the charge on several issues because I'm sorry, 
We did not delegate that authority to the federal government. They have no business being involved with that. I'm sorry. The state is sovereign in this specific issue. Or I'm sorry. The state nor the feds have no business in this because this is somebody's personal rights. It's very simple. And unless you're willing to stand on that, I got no use for you. You can't be much of an elected official or a representative if you're not willing to stand and fight for the things that matter. But that would be me. I would do that. I do that now as a non-elected official. As a matter of fact, I'm sure there are a good number of people that don't exactly like it when I'm around because I will fight. Now, here comes the flip side of this. You need to be willing, and this would be me, right? I'm the elected official. I would be willing to ally to get things done. So, for instance, and I know this is going to be a specifically touchy subject for some, a lot of people. I think the criminal justice system's broken. I think that other people that we don't normally agree with also know that the criminal system justice or the criminal justice system is broken. I think their solutions are short-sighted or not well thought out or problematic. But if they're willing to talk about other possible solutions, if they're willing to say, well, we know this is wrong. We don't necessarily, we're not, 100% sold that we have the solution, if they're willing to talk about other solutions, if they're willing to give to a decent solution, I would be willing to work with them and ally with them to get that done. Now, I know there's a lot of my conservative friends are all sorts of upset. No, no, no. We're not talking about all those little sound bites you've heard over the last two, three years. But when somebody's incarcerated for an extended period of time, While waiting for a jury trial, that's a problem. When somebody is arrested and convicted because they were forced to plea for something because they couldn't get a trial or they were mm, not given proper due diligence, that's a problem. When somebody gets railroaded, that's a problem. When exculpatory evidence is not provided. And I know, I know you're all saying that stuff never happens. That's only on TV. Yeah. Okay. That's a problem. These are all problems. Now, whether they're on the scale of one to 10, a two or a 10, that's in the eye of the beholder. I would say if it happens to 1% of the prison population, that's a huge problem, but I suspect it's a lot larger than that. Likewise, I, don't understand why we would ruin somebody's life for something they did as a minor when it's, let's call it some kind of illicit use. Okay. You make stupid errors. If you get a felony, you have your entire life ruined. You want to talk about a cause of recidivism. You want to talk talk about learned failure or learned dependency, that's a really good way to bring that about. And as a conservative, or more importantly, as a constitutionalist, I would really be pressing the issue of we want justice. We want people to be compensated for their loss. We want reconciliation and wrecking somebody's life doesn't bring any of those things about. 
I would be very interested in how that plays out. I'd be very interested to see how do we come up with a better workable solution. Again, this would be me allying with somebody else that I wouldn't normally agree with to get the better solution, to address issues that others would be afraid to address. Now, here's the thing. The difference is those aren't necessarily my priorities, so they wouldn't get the lion's share of my time. But if the opportunity presented itself, if there was a window there, I would take it. I would be willing to risk a little of that capital of being an elected official representing my people to go see if we can't get a better solution. And if we have an elected official that's not willing to do that, then I would suggest to you that that person is the problem. Number four, I won't violate my core principles. As an elected official, as an individual, as an adult, as a human male, whatever you want to classify it, when you have principles and they're your core principles, if you're willing to violate them for money or for your job or for representing somebody else, are you really going to tell me that those were core principles? Are you really going to tell me that you based your life on those principles? Now, as a Christian... We are all supposed to be willing up to the point of death to say, no, Jesus Christ is Lord. But I guarantee you, there'll be a portion of us that may fail in that. We might decide that our comfort is more valuable. We might decide that going along to getting along is more important. We might not take the concept of eternal damnation very seriously. Which, in case you're wondering, an absence of God is kind of that internal damnation. Whether you want to go and call it Sheol or call it hell is largely irrelevant. You're separated from God for all eternity. That's not something that I would like to partake in. Now, those of you that aren't Christians, let me try something else as a different example. My libertarian friends, they believe in the nap, right? The non-aggression principle. Some would call it the zap, which is zero aggression principle. Be that as it may, they don't believe that they should never start any violence. The big thing here that you might want to pay attention to is while a libertarian can be a complete peace-loving, hippie-esque person, their belief in not starting something doesn't mean they're not willing to finish something. And that's a whole other ballgame. But again... If you're going to violate your principles, then you don't really stand for anything. And for me, I have my own principles. It's not like they're a secret. They're pretty much laid out biblically of things you don't do and the things you're supposed to do. And if you swear on the Bible that you're going to do that, like I did when I took my oath of enlistment, you don't break those oaths. You don't violate your principle. I take an oath. I keep it seriously. I've said before, I took two oaths in my life and I haven't broken either one of them and I don't plan on starting now. Now, humans can do strange things when put under enormous pressure, sometimes called torture. But short of that, I feel entirely confident in saying that I would not violate my core principles. I don't know that we can say that about everybody else. And the fifth thing. 
I would stay close to home. Now, you could choose to look at this a couple, a couple of different ways. You could be geographically, you could be politically, or you could be uh, principally or familiarly. Uh, familiarly. I think that's the correct way to say that. My apologies for a little uh, grammar hammer there. So, one, if you're going to represent a district, you ought to live in the district and you ought to spend the most of your time in the district. Now, I know conveniently enough, most of our Congress people don't actually live full time in the district that they supposedly represent. Indeed, it's been commonplace for decades now to eventually relocate to the swamp, as they call it, or Modor on the Potomac, if you prefer. The idea that we should expect you to be here is a bit much, some of them think. Well, I communicate well, some of them say. Yes, that's all well and true. But if you stay close to home and you do it physically, the people that you represent can actually see you. They can talk to you. They can interact with you in person. And sometimes it's easier than others. Politically speaking, there is a lot of pressure to compromise to just give a little on this thing. And I even talked about that, right? I mean, there's times that you're going to negotiate to get something that is better. But if you're not getting something that's better, that's not really a negotiation. That's a surrender. Now, conservatives are extremely good at that. I'm not. Constitutionalists believe that as long as we're not violating the Constitution, we're willing to talk, but we're not going to violate the Constitution. We're not going to cross that bridge. Uh, Tough luck. Politically speaking, you got to stay close to home. Geographically speaking, you got to stay close to home. Philosophically speaking, if you run and win election, like I just did, on specific issues, topics, policies, a thought process, a worldview, you need to remember that. There's the phrase, you dance with the one that brung you, right? You stick with those that brought you to the party. Metaphorically speaking, of course. So what does that mean in a political office? That means that you remember how you got there. The problem is, in doing that, there are a lot of people that throw money at candidates. And when those candidates get elected, they forget about the 20,000, 30,000 people that were their rabid supporters and got them across the finish line. But they do remember that quarter million dollars they got from this group that wants this done for them. You know what I'm saying? You know, everything else be darn. I got to keep those people happy. And they all have funny names, right? They're all going to protect democracy. But the reality is, as, as your newly elected official, I might have taken some money. I may not have from these uh, different organizations. Most of them would be philosophically aligned with where I'm going to be at because, you know, I am me and I'm not likely to change too quickly or too much. So those people that gave me money are already largely in agreement with me. They're going to be generally happy with what I'm doing. And because I live at home, I come home, I spend time with my family, with my friends, with my church, with my community. They're going to let me know if I'm letting them down. Now, I got to 
give you kind of a disclosure here, right? Some of these elected officials, they try that. They really do. They show up at club meetings. They do this. They do that. They are accessible. And then they get beat up. And then they're made to be felt unwelcome, perhaps. They're, they're made to be uh, regretful of their decision to partake with this. Well, that's not a way to work with people. That's not a way to get things done. When you alienate the very people that are supposed to be representing you. Well, me, I have pretty thick skin, but you come at me time and time again. Sooner or later, I'm going to get the hint and just not come around anymore. And I know of several elected officials before me that have done this. And I'm just here to tell you that I don't have that much pride and I'm not that weak. I'll put up with enough. I'll work with you enough. But at such point that you're just openly hostile, I got no time for that. I'm going to go talk to somebody that wants to listen. Because after all, I am now your representative. I am the elected official here. It is my job to keep you all happy, but it is not my job to be abused. It's my job to ably represent you. It's my job to stand in the gap. Some would say that as an elected official, even at the level of being in the state house, I am now a lesser magistrate. And I'm supposed to say, Governor, you're wrong. I'm supposed to say, AG, you're wrong. Lieutenant Governor, you don't have business doing that. President, stay out of our state. But we don't have anybody willing to do that. But that would be something I would do. And I mean, it's one thing to stay at the back mic. I mean, we know of several people, and I think very highly of those folks, who fought their battles on the back mic at the Texas State House. And eventually, they burned enough bridges that it just didn't make sense for them to go back. But they stuck to their principles. They got done what they thought they could get done. And they did a yeoman's job of killing bad bills year after year, session after session. But you can only do that for so long before it catches up with you. So when you go in, you started that timer. So as your newly elected official, I know I've got eight to 10 years to get stuff done or prevent enough stuff bad from happening to make it worth your while to send me back for those couple of years or those couple more terms. And at that point, I'm going to know that I've been burned out and I need to check out and I need to pass the baton. And as an elected official, I would fully believe in the concept of passing the baton, which is to say, and pardon the word, it's, I'm not, you know what, I'm not even going to use it. I would train up my replacements. I would spend the time bringing them up to speed. I would educate them on anything and everything that I thought might be useful and answer questions. I would bring in those people, whether they serve in my office in Austin or my office in McKinney, and say, you're on my team. I need to get you up to speed. I can only do this for so long. But we're going to need people to step up in my absence. We're going to also need people at lower levels, right? Because my party largely abandoned all these municipal races. My party barely represents in the uh, city halls around the uh, county. uh, And they're virtually vacant in the school boards. And that's a problem. But as your state rep or as your state senator... It would be my vested interest to make sure that we not only recruit, but train up people to go take those roles. 
It was my job to hmm, boost them, to sell them to my donors, to encourage people that were excited about me getting my seat that, hey, these people are good too. We can help them and we can really get a good bulwark against the oppression and the progressivism. We can push back. These are the people we need to do. And that would be something that I would do if I was that elected official. That would be the biggest thing that would matter long term because that's my legacy. After eight to 10 years and being burned out, you got to walk away. But if you've got a little army to follow you, just think about how much better Texas will be. Again, whether or not we get Texas, whether or not we successfully stay red, we have to continue to fight the battle. We have to represent. We have to stand on things. We have to do the best we can for our posterity. And we're not doing that. If you live for today, tomorrow you'll surely die. But as your elected official, I would pour my time and energies into those things. I would make darn sure that the people that like me will love me. The people that were ambivalent will like me. And the people that hated me, they're going to absolutely loathe me. They're going to put me as their enemy number one. It would be my goal to be whispered under the same tone of breath as Jonathan Stickland for a little bit different reason, but you understand where I'm going with that. Talk about a man that stood on his principles. So listen, this was according to Callus. This was episode 176. And in just a little over an hour, we're going to be kicking off the first of three nights on our candidate forums here in Collin County, Texas. Um, a lot of that will be audioed and put up. I don't know that I'll have the rights to do that, but I will just tell you I will be fearless in my reporting on it, so to speak. And uh, I call the spade the spade, and I call a heart a heart. And we'll see what happens. Until tomorrow, have fun, <laughs> and I'll see you then. Good night.